the best thing to do is to throw out the outliers, which is what, if you study statistics, is a good idea. So you're getting rid of the the, the lawyers? You're just throwing the lawyers out? That's no, no, let's not, let's not get after lawyers here. You said the outliers, I'm just saying. You got it. Yeah, I won't go into that. <laughs> anyway. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to another exciting sort of kind of maybe, hopefully, episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such things as money, investments. What else do we talk about? Um, we talk about not sports. The economy. Yeah, we, we do kind of occasionally talk about the economy. Macro, micro, all that good stuff. Uh, so get your hopefully fun and entertaining economics conversation hats on and those are important to those of us that are bald because we consider them a form of prosthetic so get your thinking caps on or at least your entertainment caps and to be prepared to laugh at two bald people talking about finance and economics for two hours does that equate to four hours if you multiply it together all depends on your time frame sanity levels that sort of thing It'd be kind of like an acceleration it's time squared yeah but that's got that's expensive real estate. Times Square is really expensive real estate. I think that's really what's going on in Einstein's famous formula there. He's, he's talking about the mass of the universe equals the, the value of Times Square's real estate. A vague interpretation. The universe has gained mass a lot in the last few hundred years. Yeah, because the, it went from beads to possibly trillions of dollars in value. So, yep, a lot of mass has been gained in the universe. According to Einstein, yep. I mean, it's just, it's straight from Einstein. It's not us. This is what happens when you have economics, math, and physics, math meet. Uh, they, they both have a beer and you get weird results. But we, ha this well, is, this is Jake McClure. And on the line with me is Jeff McClure. Uh, you could say you could simply say that E equals MC squared, and MC is the beginning of our last names that we share in common. Right, and there's, there's two of us, so we could be squared. So e, economy equals M McClure squared. Right, perfect. That's that makes total sense, and it's got backing from sounding very similarly to a pretty good physics equation. So it should have its own truth implied there, right? That's right. That's right. Anyway, we have to do some disclosures and disclaimers. Yes. What do you want to do first, disclosures or disclaimers? I'm going to disclose. You can disclaim about the deeming. Uh, I will okay. disclose. Uh, we are the Personal Wealth Coach. This radio program is not just a radio program. That name also applies to a firm that's registered with the SEC to give investment advice. It's a SEC-registered investment advisory firm. What does that mean? It means that the firm gives fiduciary investment advice in the best interest, in many cases, the sole interest of the client. That's really hard to do on the radio because we don't know who the client is on the radio. Um, I think all the listeners would qualify because we're talking to them. We can't know you all, so we can't give you all investment advice on the air. It's not private. So this is education, not investment advice. And the SEC didn't approve us 
They're just the place that we file. There. That's that's one one or two disclosures down. We do have one fundamental conflict of interest. What's that? If the accounts get larger, if a client account gets larger, we make more money. That's Therefore, true. it is in we we are prejudiced in terms of accounts getting larger. Yes, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. Although there are times when it's not a good idea for the account to get larger. Right, there's a conflict so we have there. To, we have to fight our conflicts. Yeah. Uh, would you like to give the next disclosure? The information that we have a, that we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the as to the completeness or accuracy of said information or unsaid information. Ha ha. Ah, good. Yes, I we make no guarantee about the completeness of unsaid information. And we make no promissory statements. I promise. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> the future is always uncertain. Shares when purchased may be higher or lower in price when sold. Coffee may be hot. Close cover before striking. Well, close cover before striking is getting kind of out of, out of sync. I don't think a lot of people have seen matchbooks recently. Oh, they might have. Some people collect them which is even more dangerous if you think about the combustible material that they're leaving in a jar near their bed. But, hey, it's phosphorus. What's wrong with that? What? What? Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, last thing is that we don't pay for this radio program, nor are we paid for the radio program. We've been doing this collectively since 1998, but uh, older Baldy here, Elder Baldy, uh, did it a that. year a year longer, started in 97. Before that, there was a television program, but it, I think that was called Money Talk, or what did you call it? Yep. Money, Talk? Money Talk? Yeah. Central Texas, no, Central Texas Money. Yeah, Central Texas Money, there you go. So uh, we've been doing this a long time, not getting paid this entire time. How many different owners has the uh, radio station had? Five? During that time period? That seems about right. So we, when we started our, our program, we had a massive studio with uh, two walls filled with windows and people on the other side of those windows with microphones that could talk to us as we were doing our program and tell us if there was breaking news and tell us who was on the phone to now we don't actually go into the studio because the studio is about the same size as my walk-in closet. Um, and my walk-in closet is not considered large. In fact, it falls below the national average for master bedroom walk-in closets at this point. Really? I didn't know that statistic was kept, but now I know that statistic is kept, yes. The average size of house right now, average. This is not the mean or median or uh, people look at this wait what are you talking about this is the average size if you take all the houses out there and you kind of average them together there's a lot fewer big houses which means that a lot of houses fall in this category the average size of a new home is 2300 square feet uh, that's kind of cool it's not the subject we're about to cover but i think that's interesting that it is I think it relates to the fact that Times Square has been growing in value and so is the mass of the universe. Right. So the houses have to get bigger to keep up. That's right. Right. Yes. Totally makes sense, according to physics economics. 
And since the price of houses is up 13% in the last year, nationally, on average, that all makes sense because they're getting bigger. Right. Those are our disclosures. What happened in the market this week, other than Times Square taking on the mass of the universe? Well, the market really didn't do a lot. It dipped a little in the middle of the week, but it traditionally dips a little in the middle of the week for some reason. It likes Wednesday or Thursday to take a dip or find something to be afraid of and take a little dip. And then buyers come in and buy into the dip. And the question is whether the buyers or the sellers have more money. This week, the buyers had more money. So the S&P 500, affectionately known as SPX, rose 0.41% for the week, which again, doesn't sound like very much. 0.41% and it's not much until you multiply it times 52 and then it becomes a really big number. Why 52? But, well, because that's the number of weeks in the year. It is? Yeah. People have asked me that when I say, when we're looking 52 weeks, and they say, why? What is special about 52? Well, it's 10 more than 42. And if you get that that's reference, that, that will be enough. If you, get, if you get that reference, you're doing very well, and you need to send us an email at either Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com or both of them. Right. And we're not talking about the number of gallons in a barrel of oil, although that represents the number 42 quite well as well. By the way, if you want to join with us in our discussion or you want questions, you want to pose questions or suggestions or thoughts or even answers, you're certainly welcome to, again, email us at either Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. Or you can do both, Jeff at tpwc.com and Jake at tpwc.com. We actually prefer that because then we can read over each other's shoulders virtually. I like to nose breathe while he's reading, so it gives the right level of awkwardness as we read over each other's shoulders. So the S&P 500 rose 0.41% for the week, but that was enough. That was enough. It now has a new record close, 4247.44, which is cool. Uh, it was the, the worry that was generated that caused a little bit of a dip in the middle of the week was that the consumer price index came out at 5% year over year. That scared some people, and they sold stocks. And then a bunch of people came in and bought stocks. But more, but well, I don't know if it was more people, but definitely more money bought stocks and sold stocks. And as a result, it went up a little bit. The S and P five hundred is now up thirteen point zero eight percent year to date. We're not quite halfway through the year. If it were just obviously, if it six months into the year, if it's up thirteen percent, it would an annualized rate would be twenty, a little over twenty six percent for the year, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think I would have predicted we were up 13% six months into the year either uh, in January. We also follow the CRSP mid-cap value index uh, because that's the other side of the Dow. It's not the other side of the Dow. It's the other side of the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is principally driven by large cap growth stocks, so stocks that are priced based on their perceived probable future earnings. Value stocks, on the other hand, are tend to be priced based on their intrinsic value. If you sell the company, break the company up and sell it as if it were something real, which it is, rather than the price of the shares and the price of future earnings. The mid-cap value is the smallest, mid-cap is the smallest companies that are in the S&P 500. Small caps don't make it in there. So the CRSP mid-cap value index represents kind of a counterbalance to the S&P 500. It went down 0.49% for the week, but it's up 21.7% for the year. Now, let's contrast that again. The S&P 500 is up 13% for the year. CRSP mid-cap value index is up 21.7% for the year. Believe it or not, that follows historic norms. Historically, smaller companies 
and value companies do better over the long term than do large cap companies and growth companies. So let's see if this continues, but it looks pretty good. Um, the consensus on the street, and this is something that is something I think it's important to keep an eye on, was that the, um, the stock market is priced fairly for the reported earnings from first quarter. Since most of the earnings are in from the first quarter, we have a pretty good picture of what companies were making in the first quarter. We need some new positive information. Now, let me give you a minute, a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about. There's two levels. There's two ways to look at the price-to-earnings ratio. That's the earnings that the company that the S&P 500 has versus its price. It's a ratio. And the ratio, if you look at the trailing one-year earnings, it's terrible. It's it it is it is horrible. It is scary. It is let, the doomers and gloomers let, love let to me, talk about it. Yeah, let, let's give us a reason for that. The the trailing earnings look back at what are the earnings that the company's actually made over the last twelve months. Well, something major's happened over the last twelve months. In case, well, I don't even uh, think if you were hiding under a rock, you could avoid this. There's no most of us were hiding under a rock. That's kind of the point is that we were like mandatorily hiding under rocks, which meant that earnings were down. So when you look at the the price to earnings ratio of a trailing 12 months and we compare it to the stock market price, there's no way to say that the stock market's not crazy overvalued. But so the price, the price to earnings ratio of trailing 12 months is 45, which is absurdly high. The last time it was that high was um Back when the back in 2000, just before it crashed, which is why a lot of people think the stock market is due for a crash. Well, right. A lot of people, some people think the stock market is due for a crash. On the other hand, yeah, we got to have multiple hands here. We're economists. On the other hand, if you look at the forward ratio, which is when companies come in, they say, "Here's what we think our earnings will be over the next year," which, by the way, is amazingly accurate. It's pretty close. What yeah. They, what the companies say they're going to think they're going to earn and what the analysts say they think they're going to earn. That, Put that together. That wasn't always accurate. After Enron and Arthur Anderson, when jail time is on the books for the CEO, if they say uh, earnings that they really don't think they're going to have, just ask Elon Musk about that. Um, the SEC is pretty firm about not talking about potential earnings without having some really good numbers to back it up with. So, those forward-looking earnings. And the, and the stock market is priced, the growth side particularly, is priced mainly on forward earnings. In other words, the earnings that they expected over the next year. For instance, if you buy a piece of real estate, rental real estate, and you're buying it not because of what you think the dirt is worth or anything else, but because you want some income from it, you're going to price that purchase based on what the free cash flow is off of the, real, the rental real estate building that you're buying. And that's what that's how many successful real estate investments are made. Same thing is true when we look at earnings, which is in essence the profits of the S and P five hundred companies collectively. The like we said, the trailings earnings, trailing price to earnings ratio is forty five, but the forward price to earnings ratio is twenty one, which by the way is well within the normal range of the S and P five hundred. And it's inter interesting also is that through this year so far, the forward price to earnings ratio has been steadily dropping. In other words, the stock market is becoming, cheaper. even though we've, we're up 13% we're up this year, the S&P 500 has steadily become cheaper as it's gone up 13%. Yeah, it, and I know and, that sounds really goofy, but that's the way stock markets really work. Yeah, when we're, we've got earnings that are coming in greater and greater. 
And that's because we're going back to life. We're coming out from under the rocks. So going forward, we see earnings going up. The stock market has also been going up, but not quite as fast as the forward earnings have been. So that's, that is the deal, is that it, if you look that's at it good. based on the price to earnings ratio, it's getting cheaper. Uh, that doesn't mean that, this, that there aren't parts of the stock market that are overpriced. There are absolutely easy to point at places where the stock market is so far overpriced that it has no bearing in reality whatsoever. Lots of those. There's also places where it's still exceedingly undervalued. There's still plenty of places where you can find good deals in the stock market. That was my which, quick summation of what you were saying there. Which is an interesting thing. In, the, in May, 56%, no, 73%, I'm sorry, 73% of individual managers beat their indexes in May. And so far this year, 56% have beat it, which is something different from what you may have heard. Historically, during a run of a major bull market, particularly, the indexes tend to beat the managers, the individual managers who don't use indexing. It's reversed itself this year very nicely. Active managers are way ahead of the index right now for this yes. year. It's, and that's it's, it's because of this very unusual circumstance we're in right now. And let me go on to the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which is the benchmark for all bonds. Remember I said that the S&P 500 dipped on an inflation scare. Yep. Very interesting, through these inflation scares that seem to occur about once a week, do you think if inflation is going to be a real threat and we're going to have high interest rates and high inflation down the road, then the treasury yield would jump because people would be selling treasuries because they don't want to earn less than inflation. Instead, the treasury note dropped 6% this week to 1.453%. That's pretty fascinating. Uh, the treasury note keeps dropping in yield. By the way, then it keeps the values rising. And the indicators from the yield curve suggest we have a healthy economy with plenty of growth left ahead of us with no structural inflation in sight. In other words, basically, the bond market is saying, what inflation? There's no, they're not going to be any long-term inflation. This is a short-term price spike caused by supply-side issues, and it's going to go away. Now, if the bond market suddenly decided, when I say the bond market decided, the traders and the buyers and the sellers on the bond market concluded that the inflation was serious, then the bond interest rates would go up and the bond market would go down. The The interest rates would go up and the value of the bonds that are held would go down. And in fact, it's been the reverse of that, which is very frustrating to the people who are scared of inflation and say, we're about to have massive inflation. The Federal Reserve is not doing enough to head off future inflation. Yeah. And then the entire bond market, which is many, 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 many times bigger than the stock market says, no, nope, there's no inflation coming. And let's let's talk about that. You haven't talked about oil yet. So let's hit oil and then talk about inflation. I think it's important. I think that's maybe the number one conversation that people want to hear us talk about right now. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, which is the benchmark in the United States, rose 2% to $70.78, $70.78 per 42-gallon barrel. And it's not because people are producing less oil. It's because... People are consuming more oil, and so the reserves at Cushing and other places are starting to drop, which makes the price go up. And it looks like the, the futures market in oil is suggesting that the economy is still on a growth curve, and it's going to continue on a growth curve into the future. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation in some way, we've got email addresses waiting 
Jeff at tpwc.com or Jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango Papa, Whiskey Charlie, or thepersonalwealthcoach.com. And we're back with more of the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. We have a question that's came come in from John, and he says, CPI missing elements. This is like an, a chemistry question, I think. Hmm. No, not a chemistry. All right. I'm trying to put physics and chemistry into economics again. His question is, I'm sure you've covered this before, but why do they ignore fuel and food in the CPI inflation when those are two common items that everyone has to pay for? He's been out in California this week, and current gas prices are $4.25 to $4.75. Be glad you live in Texas. Well, number one, John, thank you for emailing while you're hanging out in California. That's, that's dedication there, that you would be connecting. I guess it's not any harder to connect from California than from anywhere else. But uh, California is kind of hard to connect in. I, I don't know. Connecting how? I don't know. I just can't connect with California very well. Are you having a problem with California? Yeah. Okay. All right. Why do they ignore fuel and feud, food? Uh, they don't do it in all of the CPI. You've got your CPI and then CPI excluding fu- fuel and food. And the reason why they exclude those from the inflation numbers is because this is this is one of the fun things. And when I get a chance to talk to grad students in econ or, or even better as undergrads that are taking this for the first time. Food prices fluctuate throughout the year. And sometimes they're fairly predictable in how they fluctuate. So that sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they aren't. Uh, but a lot of times they can be predictable. And people look at me when I'm talking to students about this and they look at me like they what? How are they, you can do that start getting ready to write down some kind of genius formula or algorithm. Yeah, if you calculate around harvest season, you'll find that food prices are lower than say the opposite of harvest season, usually sometime in the middle of winter. Food prices tend to be higher. And what's more, this pattern has existed since we've been able to measure things in a financial way. How's that for crazy? So food prices, we recognize they fluctuate. And they can fluctuate significant amounts during their harvest season, depending on how big the harvest is. I mean, they can double in price in a single year and be part of a normal fluctuation. They also fluctuate suddenly because of supply issues. Right. Droughts. All the food that we get comes from someplace else. Droughts and, and floods. Travels. That and and the mere fact that it has to travel a long ways. Price of wheat went up dramatically because the ship got stuck in the Suez Canal. Then it went back down again. Food and fuel both fluctuate a lot, and they're not good indicators of what's going on in inflation. Now, when we look at at the CPI right now, everything is fluctuating a lot. There's not any part of the CPI that isn't in massive motion right now. So it doesn't really make sense to pull... food and fuel out of it because everything is just nuts. It's the same reason that food and fuel fluctuate. Like for instance, people tend to drive less in the winter 
that's uh, shocking, I know, but it is harder to drive when it's really snowy out. So people drive less. So fuel prices for driving, well, you would think price of fuel is going to go down. But no, we're using more of it to heat our houses. So there's seasonal adjustments even to fuel. We're getting adjustments to everything right now. What we get, where we wind up, we take the highly volatile elements out of the consumer price index. We get core CPI. The core CPI is very important because things that are in steady supply, more or less steady supply, and more or less steady demand are the things that generate long-term inflation. And those are the ones we need to pay attention to, not the ones that are fluctuating up and down. For example, we talked about used car prices, which were up like 7.5% in one month. They're up tremendously over a year. Those are not going to continue to go up forever. On the other hand, the price of electricity, the price of water, the price of, uh, of the thing, the clothing, probably is not going to fluctuate a great deal. And if it starts up, it's because there's a steady, because people don't have to buy clothing right away. They don't have to, a lot of things they don't have to buy right away are there's things that they just consume steadily. And those things, if they start to go up significantly, are very significant because that indicates inflation is setting in at the base core level. And when it's not setting in at the base core level, when it's just when the inflation numbers are generated largely by a couple of items in the in this consumer price index, the best thing to do is to throw out the outliers, which is what if you study statistics is a good idea. And so you're getting rid of the the, the lawyers? You're just throwing the lawyers out. That's no, no, let's not let's not get after lawyers here. You said the outliers. I'm just saying You got it. Yeah, I won't go into that. <laughs> anyway. The issue is that there are certain things in the consumer price index and in the even in the uh, let me, PCE. Let me give are, a that, quick that are very that are very volatile and should be. If you remove those, you get a better picture of what's going on with inflation. Yeah. So let me let me throw these out there, and you can start to see where some things are volatile. Um, so uh, basic food and beverage items like cereal, milk, coffee. That's a pretty core part of it. That's part that it can be removed regularly. Um, housing costs. Now, this is weird. Some part of the CPA, CPI uses your potential rent revenue from a house that you own, which doesn't make any sense, except that some people own houses for rent. So when that changes, uh, inflation changes. Bedroom furniture, apparel, transportation expenses, medical care costs, recreational expenses, toys, uh, the cost of admissions to museums and to uh, amusement parks, education and communication expenses. So all of this stuff. And then there's some weird things that get thrown in there, too, like uh, funerals is always part of this. That's been a weird one for me. Funerals are part of the CPI in the basket. So... Hopefully you don't have to have more than one funeral in your life. But if you do, you should keep the costs down and make sure that it's not overly inflated. So you think, what is it? How often do you have a funeral? Why is that part of the core CPI? Because it's really trying to measure the cost of living. I know that sounds backwards when we're talking about funerals because the cost of dying is part of the cost of living. Uh, the cost of the mortgage, the cost of the rent, the cost of what does it take to, to live? And then here's the last thing. This is the thing that makes all of it useless anyway. 
Now, John, this was a fantastic question. It's useless because this is some kind of average world that the CPI is supposed to represent. Like somewhere in the United States is represented by this. There isn't a place that's represented by the CPI. If you live in San Francisco, I can tell you right now there is absolutely no connection to the CPI for your expenses. Uh, you, John, you brought this up in the in the email. Um, price of gas is between four twenty five and four seventy five in California right now, and I'm guessing from those prices that it's L.A. somewhere around L.A. that he's talking about because the prices are higher. When you get north up into the San Francisco area, they're like in the $5.20 range. Is that inflation? Well, sort of. The prices are inflated. But if you live in Hawaii, cars are going to be more expensive. Is that inflation? Well, no, it's shipping costs. So putting an average across the entire country and saying this is what inflation is, there's no single person that experiences inflation the way that's being reported in the CPI. It's an average. And it's kind of like the average American has 1.2 children. Well, the 0.2 child is definitely uncomfortable. Um, this is a statistic. It is not representing actual people. If so, we would have 0.2 people walking around. Uh, which part of them? Was this like their shins and below? So this is, the, this is the point. All the CPI is good for is making really, really broad-reaching decisions at the Federal Reserve level, at uh, interest rate level, when you're looking at the broadest of broad pictures. Otherwise, you're going to have to measure it for yourself. And uh, hopefully, whomever is giving you advice helps you with that to say, right, what, is, what is the expectation for your cost of living? at any given point. Uh, and if you think from, like, if you're a business owner, that's very different than if you're not. We've had double-digit rising health insurance costs every year for the past 15 years. That is a very interesting piece that is not part of the normal CPI. It does talk about medical costs, but it's more the medical costs um, at the point where you're paying for them rather than with insurance included. So there's a lot of stuff that's missing and not calculated well in the CPI. Uh, it's not intended to measure an individual's life. It is intended to measure Joe Average's life. If you ever meet that guy, let me know because I have a lot of questions. You could solve all of the surveys possible by just getting the average result from Joe Average. Anyway, and there's another, there's an alternative to the CPI, which the Federal Reserve prefers, which is PCE. Personal consumption expenditures is what people actually spend money on. You don't spend money on renting your own house from yourself, so they take that out of there. And it comes out pretty close to the same thing. Uh, the it lags the CPI because it takes longer to figure the PCE, but uh, the PCE inflation rate on a 12-month basis was. 3.6%. Versus the CPI, which is 3.8%. Right. Well, that's that's the core CPI. Right. The CPI was 5%, but that was for April, and we haven't gotten maize in yet. We exclude food and energy is 3.1% on a 12-month rolling basis. So 
and it was 4.2% uh, for the CPI in April. So when you look at all of those things, when we talk about inflation, because serious inflation can be serious damage to the stock market and a lot of other things. But the PCE and the CPI are both telling us, if we dig down into the numbers, we can get into some more of that next hour. But that the average inflation of the last two years has been about 2% a year. So when you average out the drop in prices and the rise in prices, we've got about 2.3 to 2.5% inflation. And that's real inflation. It's probably going to go up a bit for a while before it goes down again. Uh, But if you'd like to talk to us off the air locally, we've got voicemail waiting during during the weekend, real live people during the week. We actually do portfolio management and personalized fiduciary investment advice for people of high net worth. The local number is... 254-947-1111. 254-947-1111. Or you can toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got uh, recordings of the radio program, links to podcasts. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter there or read it there. You can contact us through the form or jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com.